Well, what do you onga onga, puponga, fangaroa, fanga mormana, mormana, and tuatapari have in common? They're all small towns with big histories. Uh, Peter Jensen and Elizabeth Anderson have been on an epic journey to document the stories of our historic towns. Their new book, High Hopes and Big Dreams, tells the story of 165 New Zealand small towns in their twilight. Towns which once flourished but have now faded. Some have vanished completely, while others have found a new purpose and are on the up. It's the story of whaling, shipping, flax, timber, rail, coal and gold. Peter Jensen's in the Auckland studio. Uh, Kia ora, Peter. Good, Good morning. Quite a project this uh, has been, and it, how did you go about s- selecting what would uh, what would be the members of this club, if you like? Uh, it was pretty tricky, and, and in fact, you could write another book um, with as many towns in it again. What we decided to do was we, um, we wanted a good geographical spread. Uh, so from top of the country to the bottom, you've got towns one way or the other. And rather than um, – and we also want a good spread of types of towns. You know, you could fill a book with gold towns from central Otago, but in all honesty, they tend then to tell the same story. So we've looked at ports. We've looked at um, uh, dairy towns. We've looked at gold towns, coal towns, transport hubs, which are a big thing, right through to a place like Mangatanoko, which is a, a brewery town, Benha, which was ceramics, and uh, um, Glenta. Tunnel, which had bricks. So there's a there's a big variety of towns, and they're a good geographical spread. But we had to leave some stuff out, and it was really quite difficult. Um, as I said, we started off with 150, and we couldn't <laughs> we couldn't stick to 150. And originally, it was supposed to be a small guidebook, um, and we didn't stick to that either. Um, <laughs> it got bigger. The, the publisher said, "Look, we've got to keep the word length uh, reasonable, around about 500." And then you kept thinking, oh, I found another amazing historical okay. photograph. We'll put that in. <laughs> so there's volume two. There's plenty of images here as well. Uh, we'll get to a couple of specifics, but um, there's obviously some themes here, and one of them is economic. That stands out, obvious, obviously. You know, gold, uh, mining, coal, whaling comes and goes. But what was another theme or two, once you got your teeth into this, that surprised you? There were, were there were religious settlements, um, and you had those, uh, and the, probably the best one that's in the book is Port Albert and they were a big, it was a big immigration of 3,000 immigrants coming to New Zealand uh, in the 1860s and they had a big fight on the way over and of the 3,000 only um, 300 ended up on the shores of the Kuiper and dumped on a muddy shore and it, it, it actually that town gives us the, the name of the book because uh, Elizabeth's first line for that town was, uh, they had such high hopes. So there were religious settlements. settlements. There were settlements which were driven by um, immigrant groups, and that was a surprise. I'd never known about the Swiss in Karponga or the Hungarians in Tuatapri, the Dalmatians up north a little bit better known, the Germans around um, um, Motueka. Uh, and the other one is... Um, Another thing that we found really surprising is that, especially in the early days, the, the, the towns were nearly always alongside Maori communities. That was a, a mutual benefit for both sides, and um, the settlers in those very early days bought land from Maori. They were neighbours. Uh, Maori were enthusiastic adopters of uh, European technology, particularly t- uh, food crops, potatoes, um, axes, and the like. So, so 
that that surprised us um, initially, other than just pure economic um, uh, factors. Now, some towns have completely vanished. What are some of the names that people may never have heard of? Uh, Wairongamai, gold mine near um, Tiarawa, all that standing is a chimney. Uh, one that really surprised me was a place called Tokatia between Coromandel and Kennedy Bay, and I had a lot of trouble finding out anything about it, and it was a small town that occupied a ridge between some very prosperous gold mines, and that has gone completely, and the story of the town's gone completely, and I had, I eventually found one photograph in the Waikato University archive. So you have those towns, which are, Lyle, which is quite famous in the South Island, all that's left is a, is a spooky cemetery in the bush. Uh, Canton, which was New Zealand's uh, a, a Chinese town on uh, the Arapuki goldfield on the Southland coast, and that's the most southerly Chinese settlement in the world, and that's vanished completely. You just walk through um, old gold workings and through the bush. There's not, there's not a, there's hardly a thing left. A few water races. Others have found a new purpose: the Otago Rail Trail, some of the great walks, helping out some of these towns. Certainly, independent tourism has helped. You get towns like Oweka, um, Collingwood, Rawini. Um, and and they have found uh, a new purpose where independent travellers, they like to come and stay somewhere local, so there's a, a few flourishing shops, uh, maybe a pub still survives, and, and they're doing fine. There's also those which are a little bit closer to bigger towns, somewhere like Parongia, which was a river port. Now that's becoming a, within commutable distance of um, Hamilton, and lo- likewise uh, Tokamaru, just south of Palmerston North. So they've found it, some of them have found a new purpose in that respect. Now, you're going to have to limit your ambitions, and I know you struggle with that. But <laughs> pick some, just pick some that are lesser known that really tell a story, whether it's a story of revival or whether it's a story of who knew that this drew this town. Uh, pick a handful from, from, okay. from around the Okay, on the Southland coast is Fort Rose, and uh, it's just a name, and it sounds fantastic. And it was a port, and it flourished on the other side of the Matara River, even though it was relatively close to Invercargill, it was very difficult to get goods and and people to and from. So the port was on the eastern side of the Matara River. And it, it, there's a fantastic photograph of the book of the cavalry outside the Fort Rose Hotel. And I've never been able to figure out what the cavalry, and they're all beautifully dressed up on their horses outside the Fort Rose Hotel. And that town is completely gone. There's a few holiday cribs there now. There's a, a whaling tripod and there's a First World War War. First World War War Memorial, and that, that that's just vanished completely, and and I'd never heard of it either. Um, then you have you get um, Ben Ha is over easily overlooked in South Otago, and it was a massive pottery town right up until the, um, the McSkimming Industries, right up until uh, the nineteen eighties, and now it's just uh, the the. The actual pottery is largely in ruins, and there's a there's a handful of houses that there was a, it was very much a factory town. The other one was a, a gold mining town called Oroville on uh, Great Barrier Island, and all that remains there is um, the concrete base of the Stamper Battery. And um, again, I had a lot of trouble 
digging out photos and I finally found a photograph of just miners there. So that's a town that most people wouldn't know about. Port Awanui is a, a port on the east coast and um, near, not far from Rotoria on the other side of the river and it has vanished completely as well and uh, that would be um, the other the other ports along the coast have largely survived one way or the other, but Port Awanui is completely gone. What about the central North Island? Ah, uh, Tukanu. Tukanu was actually the main port, uh, main uh, settlement on the southern part of the lake. And it had a long-standing Maori community. And then it became a um, – the coaches came north. They got to Tukanu. There's a fantastic long wharf, which was built in the 1880s, I think, and now restored. And then the steamers went across the lake to Taupo. So it became a transport hub and a port. And one of the stories I really like is when – they were travelling Taupo to Tukanu. They used carrier pigeons to send them off to the hotel to tell them to tell the hotel how many guests to inspect uh, expect um, for the for the night. So Tukanu was a little bit of a surprise. Um, and then once the Tongariro uh, power scheme went into effect, uh, Turangi became the main town. And maybe pick another part of the country, maybe further north. Further north, um, Port Albert, of course, the, the, the religious settlement, and that was, um, um, as I explained before, uh, all these people were supposed to turn up, and, and that just struggled. It just struggled right from the beginning and from a poor soils and, and division amongst the group, and that faded away. Uh, you go much further north to Ahipara, and um, I was aware of Ahipara, the beach, but I hadn't realised that there was a Dalmatian settlement on the plateau up behind the town, up behind the beach where the the um, gum workings were. And again, that's completely fate. It's a bit of a rough road to get up there, and um, they preserve the gum diggings in the scrub. It's it's I have to say it's not exactly picturesque. And then there's the odd shed and crumbling building, um, and, and amongst the the, the scrub. Wonderful stuff, high hopes and big dreams, 165 New Zealand small towns in their twilight. That's Peter Jensen and Elizabeth Anderson. Oh, actually, I'll ask you one more before you shoot. Do you see potential for others? Um, you know, having a, undergoing a rejuvenation. It's interesting looking at some of those central North Island towns again as we talk about what's happening, I don't know, with Mount Rapehu as a, as a skiing destination. We were just on the West Coast talking about Franz Joseph's challenges, retreating glacier and, and its impacts. Um, Tourism, I suppose, is a key question, but were there any others where you thought, you know, this this has got potential if this happens? Um, off the top of my head, um, uh, probably not. I think tourism, the, the, once they lose that particular economic, the, you know, the transport hubs were often related to transport, True. which is now redundant, right? The railway, the railway, that was another theme when you talk about coal, uh, gold. Uh, the railway lines, you know, the railway line goes through, town flourishes, the, the railway line closes, the town fades away. Yeah. And, and the reason for there was a transport hub when people didn't have cars. They had to catch the, yeah. the freight. The people all went by rail. And once that, once people, 
cars became um, uh, more common and the roads became better, then the, those reasons for those towns just faded. Yeah. But, but Central it's North Island's got potential. If you look at the spread of, of Auckland down deeper and deeper into Waikato now, and the other thing is the old work from home thing. Oh, yep. So I'm sure yep. transport links will be an issue. But uh, look, who knows? There may yet be um, other lives for some of these towns. And look, it's a wonderful piece of social history. Thanks yep. very much. Peter Jansen, uh, he's authored that with Elizabeth Anderson. Plenty of pictures in it too.